Hi again, your polygamy listeners. This is Lindsay Hanson Park, the host of the podcast. You know, I wanted to give an opening for this because I have spoken to many faithful Mormons, Mormon fundamentalists, people from all over the Mormon spectrum. But this interview is very unique for me. I, for the first time, have talked to a faithful member of the FLDS Church. For those who don't know, the FLDS Church is notoriously, you I guess you could use the word secretive, but really they are a very isolated group. They stay away from outsiders. As you will hear from the woman in this podcast, she told me that they do this to avoid being in large groups. They don't like to gather in large groups anymore. They feel like that makes them a target. So I had the unique opportunity with the help of Christine Katzis, who is on here, to interview um, a faithful member of the FLDS. Now, if you are just tuning into the podcast for the first time, I always tell listeners to go all the way back to episode one to get the entire history because context is critical. Always, always, always. But especially in this case, if you haven't listened to the episodes I did on the history of the FLDS, you might want to do that because this episode deserves to have the context. My heart goes out to people who are going to be listening to this who have been sent away from the FLDS or who have left the FLDS. I imagine that hearing this other side, this different narrative, maybe a narrative that you were familiar with growing up, it might seem painful and it might be hurtful to hear these things. I think it's an important story to tell, though. It's a story that's not being told, at least not publicly, even if it's a story that many of you grew up hearing. I think it illustrates the perspective of a faithful Mormon fundamentalist, a faithful FLDS woman. And that story needs to be told. It will highlight some things and give you some perspectives of maybe why choices are being made the way that they are. And you might be frustrated at times thinking, well, maybe, you know, they just don't know the truth or they don't know my history. But I'm grateful that they took the leap of faith to sit down with me and be so open and honest And while they might not have the same access to information that you might have, I think it's important to consider their side of the story as well. And so that's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to ask that everyone listening consider this for what it is. This is important historical work. It's also hopefully maybe the beginning of some bridge building from both sides of the struggle. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And welcome back to another episode of the Year Polygamy Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I'm talking with a friend of mine. Her name is Christine Katzis. Christine, have you never been on the podcast before? I never have. That's so I crazy to, to me. So this is, this is great. Yeah, it's funny because how long have we, we've known each other for a few years now. Christine has been in this community for a long time as an activist doing a lot of work. Christine, let me just let you tell your background. I know you're a PhD candidate at uh, in media psychology at the Fielding Graduate University, which is an interesting topic, and maybe you can talk about why that's relevant in the work that you do. Okay, great. So, well, first I'll give a little bit of my background. I, I grew up in Michigan, and I converted to mainstream Mormonism. I was baptized on my 18th birthday. I ended up going on a mission, got married in the temple, you know, lived a wonderful Mormon life and divorced. Then I was lured into this fundamental 
um, segment. And it, you know, that little section of my life was <laughs> pretty negative, but that's what, you know, but, but it's wonderful in the end because it gave me a gift. And the gift is that I, you know, I began to study why my brain did what it did and how, you know, people are able to be so manipulative and, and um, how the whole mind control thing works and so on. So anyway, that, that gave me my, my background, my original reason for wanting to really help people who are, who suffer from, you know, religious oppression or oppression because of their religion. Okay. So fast forward, I, I have a, I have a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University in psychology. I have a, an MBA. I have a mass, a second master's from Fielding University in media psychology, and now I'm finishing my PhD in media psychology. What is media psychology and why am I interested in it? Well, I had a story that, you know, I shared with the media once, and it was chopped up, edited, entire sentences were created out of words pieced together, and the end result was absolutely a fabrication of the truth, it was devastating. It was so hurtful that I thought, well, you know, why, why would a media company do this? And I got, I learned about this degree and I thought that's perfect for me. Okay. So media psychology is the branch of psychology that focuses on the relationships between human behavior and the media. It's a relatively new field of study because of the advancement in technology. Media in includes social media, mobile phones, television, music, and so on. In today's world, today's digital world, how the media impacts our brain, our brains and our behavior is, is a very relevant topic. And I just love it. I also have a background in cult psychology. I've studied with some of the world's most foremost cult experts. And I mean, just understanding how the brain works in these high demand groups has been tremendously helpful, not only for my own healing, but in working with with people that are still in a, in a high demand group. And I think that, you know, anybody that wants to help people that are, you know, currently in a high demand religious group, they really need to read uh, just a myriad of books from these experts. I think that's been my secret weapon. And Christine, you have done a lot of work with uh, victims of abuse and things like that. Do you want to talk about that at all? Absolutely. You know, for years I've been helping survivors of human trafficking or religious oppression. And I even take them into my homes. I've heard so many stories that are just heart-wrenching. And my biggest joy is to help them, you know, experience freedom and, and spread their wings and fly, feel empowered and, you know, make up for, for lost time or whatever they feel, you know, whatever their wounds are. I just want to help them heal. So when I you know, when I moved into this town, it wasn't, I didn't move here naively. I've been working in this field for 15 years and plus I have my own story and all that now just kind of has worked together in a perfect storm to help me, you know, have the compassion and the insight that I need to help, you know, to help these FLDS people. You know, um, I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but I, um, I moved to Hilldale. And you're not originally from, let's, let's make this clear again, you're not from the FLDS, you didn't grow up in the FLDS, you don't have a background specifically in the FLDS, although you've been in the community for a long time working with survivors, as you said. 
Right. But I only moved here in September. And, you know, so my my opinions have evolved. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because I got to have a really unique experience. Okay, so Christine, definitely you have an interest um, in investment in this community. You've been here a lot longer than I have. And you're one of the first people I talked to when I started dipping my toes into meeting more Mormon fundamentalists. So I appreciate that. Also tonight, we have kind of a special treat. I don't think that this has been done before. Maybe it has, but not to my knowledge. Christine, do you want to tell us who's with you? Okay, so I have a friend who is FLDS with me. Her name is Mother Irene. Want to say hi? Hi. And she's here to, you know, uh, call me out if I say anything not true. <laughs> or And we don't agree on everything, do we? No. Right. So, so let, me, let me be clear because a lot of people, I think they just assume because I come down to Short Creek a lot that I'm working with actual FLDS members, but really I'm working with people who have traditionally left the FLDS church. So what is happening right now is pretty rare. And Christine and Mother Irene, you can talk about why this is. Do we want to get into that? Why this is kind of a unique situation right now? Yes. Um, well, as a general rule, we do not go before the public. And mainly because we've been misrepresented so painfully over the years. And why should we put ourselves on the line? So this is... This is a reach for me. I am doing it because I want my people to have some help and some understanding. Yeah, and I would like to point out to the listeners that this is, um, you call it a reach. I hope it's not a risk personally. I mean, the, the stereotype would be that somehow this would get you in trouble with your church. But from what from my interactions with you, I would say the fear is more interactions with outsiders. Is that correct? That is correct. It's what they will come back at us. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and there's a historical precedent for that and we can get into that, but I would just, um, invite all the listeners to kind of come to this episode with that sort of spirit of understanding and appreciation at the reach that mother Irene is bringing today. And thank Christine for facilitating this again. Christine, how did you and, um, mother Irene and some of Mother Irene's family and friends come to know each other? Well, I'm an extrovert. And since I moved to the community, whenever I see somebody FLDS, I'll, I'll, I'll try to speak to them. To my shock, people have been incredibly kind, warm, and open. And I didn't expect that because the stereotype was completely different. In fact, when I came, when I moved here in September, people told me that they would slash my tires, throw rocks at us, give us the finger, and um, we were afraid we would get like arrested for no reason. So when we saw the the marshals for the first time, you know, the notorious marshals in the uh, in the news, Tolga and I were like scared. We were like, "There are the marshals. What should we do? Should we like go and introduce our, ourselves and tell them we're not going to do anything bad? We swear." And we went over and we met them and, and, you know, I mean, they, they were just the kindest men. I mean, I, I can't vouch for anything legally, whatever, but I just know that stereotypes have been broken right and left. So when I saw mother Irene, she was in, in, um, a gas station with a, with a friend and I went up to her and the rest is history. 
<laughs> and so I had the unique opportunity. I was down in the Crick last weekend. By the time this publishes, it will be two weekends ago. I had a meeting there for the service project that we're working on. And uh, I was able to meet Mother Irene and some of her friends. And I got to get a tour of the town from Mother Irene's perspective, which was really great because I saw some things that I hadn't seen before. Like I saw the historical schoolhouse where the Short Creek grade was um, in the 50s, which was you, you both can say that I geeked out about that. It's, I almost broke yeah. into tears. I was so excited. Definitely. We were shocked you didn't know about that. No, I had never seen that before. I didn't know it still ex- existed. So that was really cool. And I got to go. Can I, can I talk about where I went? Yeah, I want you to because I want to know what stereotypes were broken for you this weekend. Yeah, I had several. It was really great, actually, because Mother Irene was very... You were very open and allowed me to ask questions, even if they were hurtful to you. And I appreciate that. I, um, First of all, I showed up with my, my hair just been dyed red. So it's like fiery red. I'm wearing my ripped up jeans, like, like a true Gentile. And I was treated with a lot of respect, more respect than I, than I had expected because of some of the stereotypes. Um, it was just very loving and very natural from the beginning. And so... Gosh, I mean, I hate to say this because it sounds so offensive, but it was just like being with people. I mean, who knew? (laughs) Who knew? So, uh, and again, Mother Irene, it kind of bums me out to talk about these stereotypes because I feel like you have to bear the brunt of hearing your story told back to you in a way that you don't recognize. And and I'm going to try to be cognizant of that, but I also met a lot of women who were college educated. I didn't expect that either. I think the the story that we've been telling about myself included, I mean, I'm responsible for telling a lot of these narratives about what people know, is that education all but stopped. Um, toys were taken away and education was taken away. And what I saw were a lot of schools. Um, I got to see a lot of children learning. I got to see a lot of children playing, and that that really surprised me. And hopefully we can talk about that a little bit because that was probably the highlight of it, um, seeing the children play and have fun. And and I told Mother Irene, here's the, here's the issue. Outsiders, from your perspective, have done a lot of damage, and they come in and, from your perspective, tear up your families and all, and all of that. And But from the outsider's perspective, they feel like they're doing good because these stereotypes, because they're concerned about abuse. And so this is kind of the battle. The the myths that we want to dispel is maybe we can put the tug of rope down a little bit and maybe see that everyone really wants the same thing. We want people to be happy and free to do what they want to do. But the old way of doing things might not be working anymore. Yes. Um, one reason why it was surprising to me, and I, you know, like others to know this. We do not follow the media. As a rule, we do not watch the news. We do not go online. We just stay away from that, which has been a benefit because we don't know the negative. It was a little bit surprising some of the stuff that were st- that was stereotyped, and I, I'm glad you asked because, and even though I was very shocked each time. I, I don't know that I was um, hurt by too much. I was shocked mainly um, that we don't have, that the women aren't allowed to have money or credit cards and stuff like that. That shocked me. 
um, that we give all of our money to the people, you know, the ones over us, our leaders. And, you know, and the question was asked me, what do you do if you have money? And I, we put it in our checking account and we take care of our <laughs> bills. What do, what do most people do? Yeah. And right? so let's, let's stop and let's break that down really quick because that was something interesting. There is a concern, you know, with the activism and the organizations coming in that if money is given to the FLDS, it will go right to Warren Jeffs or it will go to the leadership. So Mother Irene really broke down the process for me. And I learned some things, for example, and Mother Irene, tell me if I get this wrong, but, um, so you get money through a paycheck or however you get money and then you give your 10% tithing to the church and then you pay your bills and then the the rest that's left over after you've met your needs is, what did you call it? Increase? A consecration. Consecration. So the leftover is given to the United Order or the Law of Consecration. Is that right? Yes, it's to help our poor, you know, in, in our group, in our among my people, it's to help them, the ones that can't take care of themselves or have, they're injured or sick or they'll just have extra needs. Yeah. And, um, I will say that that, that kind of broke some stereotypes for me because it felt like there was more autonomy than I realized. I just thought you kind of gave all your money to the church and then they designated what you got to eat or what you got to spend. And that was another thing. Um, I I had concerns that your church was starving people, and you addressed that to me. Do you want to talk about that? Um, I'm not sure what I said, although that's the furthest thing from it. If people do not have food, we would rather share what we have and make sure everyone has it. Would that be only for the faithful, or if someone is in the restoration group or they're working their way back in the church, are they allowed to? Are they being fed? Oh, definitely. Yes, we don't. It's still our people at whatever level of understanding or wherever they are. The only ones that we don't are the ones that have turned away completely. And and I mean, they turned themselves away. They took themselves out of our people and, you know, those that really cannot come back. So, yeah, I, I thought that, too. You know, I was expecting that when I moved here that I would see every, like every woman would be frail and, you know, skeletal and, and that the children would be, you know, um, like starving sort of. And it was amazing. They, they all, they all seem pretty well fed, but that doesn't mean they don't need help. Still, some families do need help with food, you know, and we do do some food distributions, but it's, you know, I haven't seen what I thought I would see. So I want to say that that was amazing. That was surprising. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of other stereotypes. Um, One of the things that I had heard were that in the tent cities, so in the town, there's this idea that there are these temporary housing that it almost looks like a humanitarian crisis, like uh, shipping containers or trailers, where I was told that uh, the women were sent, women were sent there with no heat, no air conditioning. And actually, I was surprised to find out the men occupied those, not women. Do you guys want to talk about that a little bit? Just that because of the housing crisis where we are being turned out of our homes, evicted, um, it is a problem. There is not enough room for everyone that could be here, would be here. And these are ones that are part of my people right now. And so the men are 
living outside of their homes, away from their families somewhat. And they're still taking care of their families. They're still helping, but it, there just isn't enough room. So the the eviction situation, let's talk about that because it's it's very complicated and it has a history that's going to be kind of difficult to explain all in this situation. But basically, we interviewed some members of the trust who I consider friends, Jeff and Sh- Jeff Barlow and Shirley Draper. And the trust has taken over what the church had, the United Order Church Trust. They took over a lot of the properties and lands and they're trying to give it back to people who have been sent away or lost their homes. But from your perspective, there's a different story to that, correct? Yes, altogether. There are some that are coming back in and taking some of the houses, but it's not necessarily to those who were living in that house. They're for, uh, basically, it's a land grab. And it's kind of painful to be evicted out of your home and then see it sit there for months on end. Sometimes it's been a year. And then another family moves in and you know, if you're here long enough to see it, maybe you've got to actually live here still. Many people have had to move out because there just isn't anywhere. And, um, yeah, they, I'm sure they want to make it look like that they're doing good. But quite honestly, anyone that comes in and takes any of our land, this is sacred land to us. This is our land from our fathers and mothers from way back and we just don't want to compromise on signing anything with people that have turned against us they're apostates and so we won't we won't sign their occupancy agreements although i believe jeff even said on the podcast you had before that there were ones that were signed in 2008 and for some reason i guess those aren't they should be valid but they are overlooking them or just simply deciding a different set of rules. I don't know. I think they're starting to honor them now. Um, let, let me um, give, give um, a, a little background for people who, who might not have listened to the other podcast. Um, the, just as in the Mormon church, you know, I mean, Lindsay, what is the law of consecration? Everything in common. That's the phrase that we use. Uh, it's the idea that Joseph Smith was toying around with the idea of the Order of Enoch. Brigham Young tried to institute it. It was the idea that everyone gives their goods together for the common good. It's uh, I've heard people liken it to sort of a communist ideal, but that's it's different because it's voluntary. It's supposed to be voluntary, and it's it's this idea of making sure everything is is fair. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Right. So, so here's how I understand it. So the people here know that their parents or grandparents consecrated, you know, uh, five acres, a hundred acres, homes, whatever. And they decided to use, you know, it was decided that this land would be where this group of religious people would live the law of consecration and have everything in common. And when they were given a plot of land upon which to build a home. They knew that they weren't really getting the land or the home, but that they were building on priesthood property and that if they ever left the church, you know, they had to leave the, um, they couldn't take the house with them. So 
it would be equivalent to being excommunicated, like working in the, the missionary training center, you know, um, in Provo and then getting excommunicated. You couldn't take your office with you. So, you know, so now when people were excommunicated from the FLDS church, um, and a lot of them were, and a lot, and a lot of them left on their own, then it was, you know, a very, very painful experience. And the, and the reason that people left probably involved a lot of inhuman pain and anguish that we, you know, that is hard for people to understand unless they've been through some kind of spiritual anguish or humiliation. And I want to validate the pain of every person who, who felt, um, you know, shunned or humiliated or um, upset or traumatized by their experience or, you know, whatever their personal experience was within the FLDS church. And at the same time, that's not everybody's experience. So here, so the people who are here believe this is sacred land and that, um, you know, the, that the government did not have the right to come in and take over the, the trust that owned this land. And as a matter of fact, just as a side note, in 2011, Judge Benson ruled that it was unconstitutional for the state of Utah to come in and take these lands. And then that, I mean, that ruling was based on the merits and then it was appealed and it was overturned on a technicality. So I feel for them because, you know, um, legally there is an argument that the, that this is not right. And, you know, people can disagree with, with the ruling or agree with it, but either way doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that everybody has been through so much suffering, no matter what side of the rope they're on, you know, and all, everybody needs to be treated with um, more compassion and kindness. And what I, you know, if I could say anything, I would do a call for kindness for, for the FLDS people and to stop stereotyping them, you know, like painting them all with one brush, which is the brush of, you know, they've been branded with these, with these terrible words. And it doesn't matter who you are in the FLDS church or how innocent you are. If you're FLDS, it's like you've been branded an abuser. And this is just, this is just heartrending. Okay. So let me see if I can sum it up from my perspective and then you guys can respond to that. So I am working with the trust for our surge project. I have nothing but good things to say about our interactions. We um, were worried about some of these struggles and we were able to resolve it very smoothly. So my experience has been positive. And as you know, I've had Shirley Draper on the podcast and Jeff Barlow and they explained. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you need to go listen to that episode before listening to this. So you can have background on what we're talking about. And from my perspective, I deal with a lot of people who are shunned and who have been hurt. And in their perspective, this faith that they gave everything to, they built these homes, they spent hours and hours on it, they consecrated their time and their effort and their energy. And then to have one of their leaders say, you have this sin that we have discerned, and they say, no, I didn't do that. 
be sent away, they feel a great injustice that sort of settles deep down. And it's a pain that I don't think many people can understand because you don't just lose your home, you lose your family. I, I, I've spoken to men who whose wives are still in town and they, I mean, the lonely anguish that they feel, and, and some of them have tried for years to get back. They've tried to follow all the rules and they can't get the approval of the leadership. So from their perspective, they too have been robbed. And then... So that's the predominant narrative, and that's one I'm very sympathetic towards. But I will say that meeting Mother Irene has made me see a different side of this. And that's the tension. For, so from my perspective, there's no real heroes here. I can understand why the trust is doing what they're doing. But maybe Mother Irene can give a different perspective. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you first that many of the ones that have come back and have painted the picture that they're doing a lot of good, they left of their own free will and choice. And they chose to come back because, I don't know, actually, I really don't know all the reasons, but it looks like there was an opportunity to get houses, and it almost looked like many people were trying to come and get free houses, free land. In a way, it's not really, but... Because, you know, there's still things you have to pay. We, we pay our taxes, which is another misconception that's been put out there. We have paid our taxes. We have worked together to pay our taxes for years. And since many of the ones that have come back, they have tried so very hard to get anyone of any kind of leadership out of the community so they can completely take over. Now... We are still paying our taxes. And I know from what I've heard recently that that's one of the things is they just won't pay their taxes. Oh, yes, we do. My sons go out and work hard to bring in the money to help pay our taxes. And we paid them as a group. We paid them to the county. We did not pay them to this UEP that took over. We don't pay a fee because it's our land to start with. Yeah, right. explain that to us a little bit more. So outsiders aren't going to quite understand why you would say it was your land to start with. Why Why would you, okay, first of all, when you start with this, break down the difference between apostates and Gentiles for me, because I wasn't even sure that you would talk to me, because I, I come from the LDS church, so I didn't know where I fit. So explain that to to everyone for a second. Okay, a Gentile is just anyone out there that has never been a part of us, and and Me. yeah, like like Christine, and an apostate is someone that has, on their own free will and choice, moved away and no longer want to be a part of us. Or when they were sent out, for whatever reason, they chose to become bitter. So we do not, we cannot really. I guess I could, shouldn't say cannot. We choose not to talk to apostates or enemies. Now, there are some Gentiles that seem to have a vendetta against us. I don't know all the reasons because I don't follow the news. But I'll tell you, reporters are some of our biggest don't talk to. If you see pictures in the news, it's usually at the back of us walking away. You and Christine talk about this because this is a serious issue. I've seen it myself, um, especially as I've interviewed people 
it it doesn't take much for it to go wrong and then lose the trust of someone. But if you're comfortable, can you talk about sometimes that your people have been burned by this? Well, I know we've counted on the city, the mayors and the officers in the city to do the talking for the city. But I know for a fact that they have given interviews many, many times to either not be published or to be published against us, to be changed and to hurt us. And there's been times that we will, we have in the past talked to people, talked to the journalists, talked to the camera, and they will only pull out a few little words and then twist it. And, you know, I am me. I made my choice to be here when I was young and it was my choice and I love it here. Yes, I grew up here. Yes, it's my family here. But I, you know, I, I don't want anybody coming in and trying to take or try to convince me that I'm not who I am. Yeah. So on that note, um, Lizzie, I want to talk about why they don't sign the occupancy agreements. Um, okay. So like, like Irene said, that they don't, you know, they don't communicate with apostates or enemies. Now, I wish they would, you know, but they don't. That's their, that's, that's been a long-standing part of their religion. And one thing I want to add right here, and everyone that has left and is here and just act like they don't know why we won't talk, they do know why. They were there too. Yeah. So when they get an eviction notice, it has the, the email and the name of a well-known former member who they can't talk to or make a deal with. And that's the person that they have to um, communicate with. So right there, they have an emotional block and a spiritual block. You know, that means they can't, they, it's against their religion to, to communicate with that person. I know us I know that a few a few people have and that's their choice you know every person is different but 98% of the people won't communicate with the you know with the person on the notice and they won't sign the occupancy agreement because that's signing a deal with you know um their enemies you know an apostate or an enemy so so it would be like for you Lindsay let's suppose that in your home, the only opportunity that you had to continue living in your home, in your neighborhood with all your friends, is if you signed a new occupancy agreement on a home that you thought was already yours, but you had to sign your temple name. And let's suppose you're a good temple attending, devout Mormon woman. Would you sign your temple name to stay in your home? No, obviously not. No. Well, why not? Oh, because that, I mean, that's a very deeply held religious belief of mine, that that's something we don't reveal outside of the temple. Right. So that same commitment and power of religious devotion is what they have regarding the occupancy agreements. They, I mean, you know, so many times I've heard people that are outside of the church say they won't sign them because they're just stubborn. Well, that's not it. It's because they want to live their religion. And if they do sign it, there will be consequences. 
Irene, what what would be the consequences if you signed that? First of all, I think my own conscience would get the most of me because I had made a deal with an apostate or an enemy. Right. And I so that's number one. Um, pretty much I would be signing that to state that I was not, I was no longer an FLDS. I was an outsider. Right. Wait, so what you're saying is if you signed it, that would effectively remove you from your church? Yeah, pretty much. You would be making a choice to say, I do not want to be a part of the church. Okay, and where does this idea, has it always been this way that you can't talk to apostates? Because um, from my perspective, it seems harsh, right? That seems like, I, it doesn't seem Christ-like to me, but how, where's the doctrine? Where, where does this idea come from? Well, I think it's just we've always wanted to be careful and we have had so much persecution in the last few years, last 15, 16 years especially. Uh, I mean, it's been ongoing for a long time, but and it was from our own that have left. That's where it has come from, the bulk of it. So you have, Lindsay, you have examples of that too, right? From the um, people who've left the Mormon church. Yeah, we, um, I don't want to name names, but we certainly have, Christine and I have talked about this. So I deal with a lot of ex-Mormons um, and some people, you know, a lot of faithful people might consider me an ex-Mormon. I occupy this very unusual spot where I'm kind of have a foot in both worlds. So it's easy for me to see both sides of it. But sometimes when people leave, they're angry and they're angry for a long time. And and we've had examples of this where people do fight against the church and they spend their entire life fighting against the church. And, and from my perspective, very unfairly trampling on sacred things. Um, and, and again, not to undermine the LDS church can do a lot of damage. People do lose their families too. There are people that have committed suicide because of some of the doctrine and the shame and and, and that stuff is unacceptable. But there are people that think that any of the ends justify the means. And I've talked to Christine about this. So a lot of the criticism when you're LDS is it's so black and white, such black and white thinking. Well, I know a lot of people that become mirrors of themselves. You know, they sort of just stop believing, but they take the same sort of ideas that are dangerous in the church. If you're a self-righteous Mormon in the church, you can be a self-righteous ex-Mormon out of the church. And I'm not sure that that's better either. Right. You know, I want to say something, too. Um, and, um, you know, the, the way the brain works, we have, we're wired to um, fear loss and fear humiliation. I mean, humiliation is, you know, fMRI studies, neuroscience show that the deepest, most intense emo- emotion is humiliation. So we remember when you know, we were children and we were bullied on the playground or, or humiliated by the girls at school. It's, it's so deep. It's almost in our DNA, you know, and at any rate, humiliation can come in any religion or any community. Whenever there's like a ranking of people or a judgment, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't pass with the highest in the highest level, it can, it can hurt you. And some people, I mean, obviously it can be very devastating. If you leave the church, you've, and, and if you've been kicked out of the church, 
whether it's, you know, LDS or any religion, it's more psychologically damaging than if you walk out of the church. I mean, that's, that's a fact. And so we have these people with, with all this pain and yet we have all these people that are still inside who say that they're happy and, you know, we can try to judge them and say, you can't be happy. You're being victimized. You're being oppressed. It's not possible for you to be happy. But there are different kinds of happiness. There's, you know, the kind of happiness which is uh, very, it's called hedonic, and it's it's very present-day happiness. Like, you know, all these things went right, and I, and, and this good thing happened, and I got this in the mail. And, and, and it's a very, um, sort of a very shallow shallow me oriented happiness. And then there's eudaimonic happiness, which is basically where you're giving and it, and, and it's meaningful. So in other words, there's, you can be living a meaningful life where you're living your religion and, and you feel very, very rewarded and you have a purpose and you're living your purpose. That's a meaningful life. And then you can have a happy life. And sometimes these are, these are the same. And sometimes these are not. So I, I learned to quit judging whether people are truly happy. It's, it's, I can't really say. If they're living a meaningful life, if this is Irene's religion, then she, and she's living the life that's meaningful to her, and she says she's happy, you know, it's not, I don't find it my personal mission um, to destroy her because she is still living what she believes. I want to, you know, I want to honor her for that and, and, and just make sure that we do, that I can do anything I can to reduce the harm against her and the harm against any of these, you know, these children. I mean, these evictions are traumatizing people, you know, FLDS people, I'll ask them, how many times have you been evicted? And they'll tell me, and I'll ask, do you have any you know, did you take any photos or videos? And I've seen so many videos of people crying during evictions. And so it, so I have to make a disclaimer. I do have a bias against the evictions because I see the side where it's causing heartbreak and pain. And I don't see it as a, I'm not a machine, you know, rolling through the, through the letter, through the names. I'm, you know, I'm a person and I'm an empath and I feel bad. I feel bad when they're evicted and I don't, I don't say to them, well, you're just being stubborn. Just sign it because I know that they can't or they'll lose their purpose in life. So, and, and if I could, you know, do a plea, a plea to, um, to everybody, the people who used to be in the church and the people who are on the outside, my plea would be, let's let's just do what we can to reduce the harm against these people. Because if you claim, I mean, everybody's everybody has these stories of harm when they come out of the church. And if they believe that, why would they want to, if they believe that being in the church causes so much harm, um, then why do we want to re-victimize these victims? You know, I mean, they, they're going through so much. And this by me loving Irene, this does not mean that I don't love the people who came out of the church because I do and I want to help them. But I just believe that, you know, the answer, the, you know, I, I don't agree with I don't agree with the shunning and the not, you know, the not talking to former members. I don't like that at, at all. Um, first of all, we 
are very, very patient and happy to allow people to make their choices. Now, if someone doesn't want to be a part of this, that is their choice. And that's fine. The main thing is please don't come back and hurt us. You can move away. Leave the land alone. The evictions are hurting. It hurts. We have had so many homes evicted that aren't even filled with anybody. And the ones that are filled are filled with mainly ex-FLDS that came back. Well, not even all that, but many of them that came back. And there's like a very strange undercurrent of power, a quest for power or something. I don't know, but all that aside, the evictions, um, I... I've watched many. We watched the locksmith. You should hear the children. There goes the locksmith. Who's getting evicted today? One of my sons asked when Isaac Weiler was doing all the eviction, you know, going and doing them with the constable and everything. They had evicted a house next to us. And he asked him, he was there talking to him, you know, taking pictures. And he says, where's the next house you're going to steal? And he says, it's just over there. I'm pointed to the south, and I was shocked. <laughs> you know, he really admitted what we feel is happening. And also, I have to tell you something that happened just today. And it was an eviction. And there's Ted Barlow that does the evictions now for this uh, pseudo-UEP, from my point of view. And... He evicted his own mother from her home today. And he knew she lived there because he asked them, can I talk to mother? And they said, no, she doesn't want to talk to you. And he also, in that home with his mother, was a handicapped lady that has no other place to go at this point. And she says he he got on the phone and talked about her I suppose it was with Jeff and they says okay you have till the first of April but you can't have the key they had the locksmith change the keys out you can't have the key but only you can stay here in this home no one else and so she does have her two young children but she says it's kind of weird it's really strange to have him have the key he could come in anytime he wanted to and I'm in this home. Yeah. Let me respond to that for just a minute because I don't know if the listeners can hear that, but there is such like this tense, painful space that we're all holding right now. And first of all, this is one of the things that we that I was talking about. One of the myths that you, Irene, broke down for me is that you were willing to dialogue and that you could take on these hard questions and let me give you hard answers. And as people can clearly see, you can speak for yourself and respond to that and and still do that from a faithful place. I went home that night um, where I was staying and I admit that I spent about 45 minutes sobbing. <laughs> I started sobbing looking out the window and I was just thinking of all the pain that our people have experienced in our movement. And I mean the larger Mormon movement from the beginning, from the misunderstandings at the beginning, from Utah, from the persecution from the government and how the government saw us and how we saw the government. And then how I've experienced it in the LDS church and 
I think what you did, what listening to you did, is it made it more complicated for me because I want the story to have heroes and villains, right? We want someone to be a bad guy. We want to have the problem. We want it to be simple and we want to fix it. But that's not the story. The story, if people can hear it, there's pain here. There's so much tension. Um, Yours is a story of so much pain and so much misunderstanding that goes back you know, more than just 20 years. It goes all the way back to the 1920s and the 1930s and then the 1950s. And here we have such a culture of shame and othering and expulsion and making sure that, you know, you guys are kept away from from us. And, And even though you and I, we could probably trace our history back and find common ancestors, uh, people that came across the plains. And that's the pain I'm holding. I'm holding the pain that you're feeling. I'm holding the pain that from people who feel like they were pushed out. I don't have a good answer, but I just want to acknowledge that I recognize it. And I I really appreciate that you're w- willing to, you know, be part of this side of the bridge. That's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. She's tearing up. (laughs) I know you made me cry when I was there last time. It's so, I mean, it's so hard because it's like, it's almost like we have this little fight within our faith, this war and there are casualties and they're real. Right. And, and I would say, you know, I would say, well, there's a casualty of a kid that was, that was sent away and he had to live in a trailer and he was freezing and he had to burn tires to survive. And you would say, here's a story of a man who kicked out his own mother from a house and now she can't work and she has to scramble to find a place. I mean, this is the pain that we're talking about. And it's sort of this, this, I don't even know how to say it. It's like this spiritual war but it's bigger than that. It's it's families hurting families. And, and it happens not just in your tradition, too. It happens in all these Mormon traditions where the stakes are so high. So, again, um, I just want to acknowledge that that pain is there. And and it, just thank you for, like, being able to talk about it with me. It's very validating for me to to hear you talk about it and, and for you to sort of stand your ground. And, Christine, I, I wanted to ask you, too, about how you felt that you standing up for this, maybe how it's affected you personally. Okay. Thank you. First of all, um, I do love the FLDS people. They, I don't know why they let me into their hearts and their homes. I, you know, there's been a rumor that, you know, that I know the leaders or something, or I'm approved by the leaders, but that makes us laugh because that's ridiculous. Um, but they've been, you know, I mean, the FLDS people that I've seen have been kind, they've been bonded with their children. They love their children. And, um, it's been, you know, I, I haven't seen the bad side that I heard about. So people might say, oh, you're just being played or, you know, you only know a few people, but I know a lot of people because, you know, you want to know why I know a lot of people because I knock on their doors. (laughs) when I see an eviction notice, I will knock on their door and see if they need help or if they have some place to go afterwards. And, you know, I'm very outgoing. So I've met a lot of people, but you know, my desire to help them, I just want to reduce the harm to people. I'm not trying to promote their church. You know, they don't take new converts. I'm not converting, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but you know, I don't think that, 
that shunning them or being unkind to them will, will help anything. So I just want to, you know, be a resource for them. And I've been, um, I've been persecuted a little bit here. But Christine, in this what about, what about the idea that, I mean, so I have heard, you know, Christine is too compassionate. She's being played or maybe, and we'll talk about the second one that you're in it for personal gain. Cause I want to have something to say about that in just a minute. But, um, what about the idea that, that we have talked to former FLDS who say we were taught to lie. We were encouraged to lie to outsiders. We were encouraged to play it up for the cameras. What would you, what would you say about that? And Irene, maybe you can answer this because you already answered this for me before. Okay. I mean, that still makes me go, wow, why would they say that? We have not been told to play up to any camera. Um, we do not lie as a general rule, I, I can't speak for everyone. I mean, we're, we have our own <laughs> set of standards, but we are not taught to do, do that. Quite contrary. We are taught to, to be truthful and honorable and to love our neighbor. And we, it's not like we hate these that go. We have a deep love. Many of them are sisters and our brothers and fathers and mothers. And we love them. We really do. But we can't allow them in to hurt us anymore. And, um, and I'm, I'm going to go also into why Christine is more accepted than anyone I've seen in my lifetime as far as someone talking to us because she's genuine, first of all. She doesn't, she's never purposefully hurt us. And if she ever puts anything out there, she always asks first. And nothing at all is played up to the camera. Nothing. No way. It is real. The stuff that she showed me, it's real. I know. I know that she did mention that someone thought that we were playing to the camera the night of the, the evictions where we had only, we were told there was only an hour to get out of the processing plant, that was absolutely false, what they accused her of. I was there. I know. We were running, our children, and we were working together. And it was mainly women and children because the men were busy taking care of other things that were being evicted that day. We thought we had one hour. Ted came over and talked to the lady that was in charge and said, you have till midnight. So we worked feverishly that night. And the next day or so, I don't know when, then he got with her again and says, why did you leave everything in the rain? You have a week. And we didn't know that. We did not know. And it was a, a lot of things. We just were trying to get everything out of the building because they had locked everything up and says, just get your person, get out of here the day before that. So we were just getting everything out so we could pick it up. Because once they lock those buildings, they have taken possession. And those buildings, by the way, were not businesses. They were treated like businesses when they were evicted, but they were storehouse. They were church facilities to help everyone, and especially the ones that were in the most need. Food storage. It was food storage. It was our food storage. And yes, it has been Next to impossible. In fact, I'm sure there's things they just had to let go because we don't have a place to store that. That was the place. I know the furniture 
most a lot of the furniture that was going into homes to help ones that couldn't afford and a lot of that had to just be taken elsewhere or destroyed or was destroyed from the elements there was there was a lot of pain in that that was one of the days that i just felt probably the lowest and thinking how can they really do this it's really happening I mean, even though we see a lot of stuff and we hear a lot of, about, and we've been evicted, many of us have been evicted several times, but to take our support system out from under us and just leave us, our families aren't small. Small families in this community are 10. We're talking 30, 60, 80 houses that have been taken that had 80 people in them to house a family of four or five. Or, right. or even one, a house that has 21 bedrooms, and there's one person that lives there. And we're stacking up. We're trying to help each other. We're trying to help people get, be able to go out and get a home that they can live in and, and live, not just exist with, on top of each other. It's hard. We are having a hard time even finding resources to get a mortgage or to pay rent. And we don't even know where everyone is anymore. Right. And that's my concern. My concern about the evictions is, you know, I mean, um, I know that on the other podcast, Shirley said, you know, it, it's the best thing for them. But, you know, studies show that evictions are traumatic. And the more you're evicted, the more it affects you. And we're evicting children. And I mean, these, the, no matter what you think of the church, the children are innocent and they you know, when they have a stable home, that's a good thing for children. And in this community, they, you know, they, they school their children and they share resources. So, you know, teachers have been evicted and children have been sent to different, you know, with their, you know, to different states and, you know, siblings split up because this mother and her siblings will go to this town and this mother and her siblings will go to that town. So those siblings that were, that were close and, and attached are now maybe two states apart. And, you know, this is a side of the story that creates, you know, um, just a tenderness in my heart because, I mean, these are people, these are people that cry. These aren't, these aren't criminals. These are people that cry. And, you know, and I know, I mean, my concern about, you know, um, talking in their behalf is that I don't want anybody to think by any means that I am their spokesperson. I try nonstop to get these people to, to fight for themselves, don't I? Yes. And it's hard to step out. It's hard to say, oh, sure, help me. Because in a way, it's almost like, we feel a desperation of now what? But at the same time, we are, and I believe we strive to be a God-fearing people. And we know Heavenly Father will help us do this. And that is where we hang in there. That is why, yes, we are taught to be peaceful, patient. And that's where the phrase keep sweet comes from. It's like a mantra, a thought word. It's something you just think over and over to help yourself, to pick yourself up. It's not to hurt anyone else. It's only to help. Yeah, one of the most touching things to me is when they are evicted and they're, they're so resilient, you know, and so strong, and they make references to 
you know, the early saints being evicted from Missouri or Nauvoo. Yes. And they, they have so much faith. And one man said, you know, he said he lost his business and we were there during that eviction. And he said, we saw him later in a gas station. And he said, he looked happy and we were surprised. And he said, they can take my, my land. They can take my business. They can take my money, but they can't take my testimony. And that kind of faith just reminded me why they don't sign the occupancy agreement, even though you, you have no idea how much I wish that they would. And, I, and, and it hurts so much to know that it would be so easy for them to keep their home if they were me. I could sign that occupancy agreement, but they can't. And we just have to understand that and stop calling them stubborn. It's their belief. Right. Okay. So even, you know, I mean, there's also a myth that, that it's, they're getting evicted because they don't pay their taxes. Well, I mean, we know that many people do pay their taxes and I mean, we have, you know, documentation of it and that it's not just about that. They have to pay their taxes and then they have the, the occupancy of fee, which um, apparently they won't evict for that, which is very, very nice. But then they have to sign that agreement. And so, you know, I just hope that the UEP, you know, will, find a way to um, allow, you know, allow other people to sign the agreement in their behalf um, because they're stuck. They're stuck in this place where they can't win. And that feels like an imbalance of power to me. And, um, you know, and I mean, and that's... um, I want to say something that's going to probably appear harsh to Irene, but maybe, Christine, you can respond to this. What about the idea that maybe the FLDS don't deserve to be in those homes, that they've caused so much heartache or that their religion is toxic or harmful or dangerous even, and that, that, you know, this is a religious belief, but it's their that they're exercising their freedom of religion by opting out. That's their choice. And so um, maybe they don't, they don't get to have a house what what would you say to that I guess what I'm asking the harsh way to say it is what would you say to people who say tough luck we don't care if you're FLDS you're being brainwashed and you you shouldn't get a home you shouldn't get to live in the town you should just go away oh okay um first of all I guess it's just a pour into my thought that there is that kind of harm in our homes the ones that would have and did in the past do that kind of harm are not part of us anymore. If we don't abide the rules, why should we live in the religion? And either they chose to leave or they were asked to go and and have a life somewhere else. And if they were asked, and I'm going to tell you this, they were provided with means to start a home and a life somewhere else. They were not necessarily just kicked out on the street. They were not. They were asked, do you need any help? And if they said no, that was their choice. If they needed it, then they were given help to get started somewhere else. We love our people. Again, we love even the ex-FLDS. We just, we just can't have them right here by us, hurting us. Do you, think that, do you think that there's any possibility, you know, I mean, this is my, this is my naive hope, and that would be that, the ex-FLDS find a way to show their love to the people who are still in, 
you know, I know they want to. I, I mean, so many have said I would help them if they would take my help, you know, and there's so many good people here. And I mean, my dream would be that, you know, there would be so much love coming from both directions that at some point that, you know, this wall would go away. And, you know, I mean, if I could put a, an order in, you know, to God's drive through window, I would say, can you, you know, can you just fill this town with love and, 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 and get, you know, give the FLDS a re- revelation that, um, you know, the, the apostates are, 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 you know, just loving and they're not going to hurt them. And, you know, if I can wave, wave a magic wand, I would do that. But, but the reality is, is that many of them are hurting us. And I don't think we initiated this at all. Let's just go back to the fact that this is not the real UEP. This is a fake UEP. And it is still church-owned land. The deeds are not in the hands of this fake UEP. They never have been. They are with the church still, with us as a people. But for some reason, they were given the permission from court to just go ahead and take it. I don't know what they're making for deeds. I don't follow that. But that seems so very unconstitutional and un-American to step in and take care of something that didn't have a problem. I know they tried to make it look like it did. There was no problem. The problem was they had left. They had a lot of pain, like Christine says, and they're taking it out on those that they love. It's almost like a, a toddler getting mad at a mother for keeping them from walking off the edge of a tall cliff. Now, maybe I shouldn't, (laughs) you know, say that the fake UP and all the them are like toddlers, but in a way, it's very childlike how they're grabbing everything. We have not stepped in and just said, you shall not. We've, We've prayed a lot. We've gone through every court session we can. Pretty much if you're FLDS right now, you have no rights in the courts. You have no rights. And you can, I, I think it's, I don't know if it's public knowledge or public access to some of the court cases, but there it's ongoing. And one court just recently said, look, there's a problem here because there's all these lawsuits brought against you. Well, the lawsuits are frivolous. People are going out and making up things that didn't even happen. These are ex-FLDS coming back and doing a law, a court case against us. And so they're even in the system, it's either they're very, very ignorant or very, very one-sided. From your perspective, you really believe this, right? And and I want to highlight that because some people would say, well, what would she know if she hides herself from the news or doesn't read the news? Maybe maybe you're not getting the other side of it, too. That's what that's what I'm saying. What Irene, what would you say that you would want to fix? Is is there a way to fix a struggle? Because then I would hear um, the apostates say a similar narrative about the FLDS. So. What could be done? Do you have any ideas or any suggestions? Or do you think it's one of those things where both sides are not going to budge and it's just going to be this tug of war? You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't really have a good answer to that other than 
there is no way we will compromise, not because we're being stubborn, but because, well, I guess it is a stubbornness, but it's a stubborn determination to do what we feel is right, ultimately. And I don't believe that those are coming that are coming back into the town are really fulfilled in what they're doing. The town is dead. It has very little businesses that actually look like a business. You drive down the street and you see a few cars. Now, when we had the businesses up and going, and most of those, quite honestly, were evicted. The center of town was evicted, where the store, where the health food store was, and the pizza place, and the chicken place, and the flower shop. That was all evicted. And the guy came, they came in, took the land, and the new owner came in and said, you're welcome to stay here. All you do is have to pay me. And they says, no, thank you. It was ours to start with. It was our improvement association that built these buildings. It was us. Now, why should we pay someone that comes in, takes over, and very kindly lets us stay there? I don't think we will do that. And so, I mean, yeah. hold on. I want you just, you broke down another stereotype that I, that I forgot about. These businesses that you're talking about, I was surprised. I got to go in some of them. You have the dairy store. I got to go in just fine. Outsiders are welcome in your businesses, correct? Absolutely. They are a public business. Outsiders, XFLES, apostates, Gentiles, anybody, anybody that comes into town has, uh, you know, the opportunity to come in. We do not turn anyone away unless they're being obnoxious and it, you know, like any business, right? So, yeah. And and this is the other thing that I wanted to point out, too. I, I hope we have time to talk about the children. I don't know if you guys have to go. Christine, you can tell me. I do think, I mean, we're we're trying to, we're navigating this, this tricky discussion, and I think you guys are doing great. But from, let's, let's think about the children for a minute that, who have no say in this, right? Um, so let's bring it back from the struggle of apostates to the faithful and let's talk about the children and, and maybe you can talk about what their life is like right now. Because what I saw in the photos and some people could say, you know, maybe I'm just being too compassionate or I fell for FLDS propaganda. But I mean, that's not what I I feel like I'm pretty, pretty wise on that. I saw a beautiful culture of things that um, that kind of made me yearn for my early days as a LDS girl, I saw mothers canning with daughters, a lot of canning. And, you know, I'm a sucker for canning. Anyone that listens knows that. I saw hard work. Uh, you you told me about how you guys harvest yeast off of local plants and, and how you make your bread. And, and there really is this culture here that is at risk of disappearing. And I would say that a lot of people want it to disappear. They think that it's harmful. But maybe you guys can speak to the culture that is potentially at risk of being lost here? Um, I guess it potentially is, <laughs> but probably not likely because whether we are spread throughout the whole nation or the world, we will still have that core of who we are. And um, I think we'll still keep on going. We might be forced into um, eating food that we don't care for, but when we can hand, we can get back to making the bread or we will always wear the clothes that we make because there isn't anything out there that we feel like is right for us. Um, we will still have our ways of living and we will continue. 
and I, I kind of want to go back to the children. The children actually are quite happy. We have schools. They are they're homeschooled. Um, we'll get small groups of families together, but we don't have any really big schools. There are a few school buildings left. There have been seven school buildings that they have evicted that had school going on in them when they evicted them. Seven buildings, about three maybe or four that are left. And so most of us do our schooling in our homes and we'll have, you know, a room dedicated to it or we'll do it on the kitchen table. But we're talking like six, eight, ten children in school from each family. And, um, but we're learning. We love it. We have, we have what we need. Well, we have our curriculum. We're always in need of supplies, you know. We do not go to the state for supplies. Um, just because we don't like to, to, for lack of a better word, we don't like to milk the state for everything. And we're not going to go there and ask. And I know they've offered, but the offer comes from people that have turned away from us. So, again, it's hard to say, yeah, come right in, look at my home, see how my children are doing. It's not that we're ashamed of it or afraid of being watched. We just don't want the influence. And we do have very different ways we, how we teach our children. But we, they're taught. Yeah, I can attest to that. I mean, um, you know, these, these children are reading, and some of them above grade level. And Irene and I, I, I talked to her about, um, let, like, let's do a homemade book fair, you know, um, where all the families can, you know, cr- create their homemade books. We can display them. And, and you know, I'd love to put together little craft kits or bookmaking kits and, 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 and create this. I mean, we, we have actually many talks about how we can help, you know, help the children educationally. And, and it, you know, if, if that's the only thing I can do from being here is help these mothers with their um, you know, with their educational goals, and then I feel I will feel like a success. But I mean, I'm also doing something at the library this summer. I'll be doing, um, you know, some puppetry and some storytelling for the library, which is, you know, all the XFLDS. So I'm not like on, you know, I, I don't take uh, a side. And that is a misconception about me here with some of the people in the community. Irene has never said to me, that, you know, I'm not going to associate with you if you associate with apostates. Never. And, I mean, it's open. I mean, it's, I am a normal outside person, and I can have friends that are FLDS, and I have friends that are XFLDS. And I, I do want to say, regardless, I, I would dare say that the most amazing people I have ever met are in this community, incredible, with with very rich stories and beautiful giving hearts and and you know I just don't have black and white thinking and I'm not an either or person and and if if there's anything that could come from this is to remember well I don't want to re-victimize the victims you know of either side either side exactly. no and and uh, you know I I do understand why people that have been through so much in their in their FLDS experience and are, you know, now left to deal with the, with the, 
with the consequences and, and the trauma, I understand why they would, they might say, you know, Christine, by, you know, by publicly saying that you love the FLDS people, you're minimizing the harm that came to me. And I don't mean that at all. I don't want to undermine anybody's pain. And, and Irene, I mean, Irene and I talk about this and she, you know, that she doesn't have, a, she agrees even, you know, that, you know, and, and another thing that we talk about, and I say this to her all the time and verify this is that there are so many people that are outside the church that love them and that miss them and, and fight for them. Is that true? Yes. And, and we're grateful. We really are. And we're very grateful for those that don't want to come in and, again, hurt us by taking away everything we have. And it is. It's a takeaway. Everything. They, there are only a few businesses left in the community that are open to anyone, to the public. And they are being threatened. We had this, uh, maybe I shouldn't bring it up, but the big food stamp fraud thing, which is such a farce. Um, and so those businesses, because of that, one of them has completely been rejected. They can't have food cards there. They can't have the food stamps. And the other one is being threatened, and it's happening now within a week or so. They won't be able to. So are you saying that they're prohibiting people from buying food in the town? It kind of feels that way. I mean, so, so Lindsay, in other words... You know the FLDS won't go to the, um, the the you know bees market or or you know the outside stores or the apostate stores, you know. And um, I don't, you know. So they have their stores they go to, and and some of the people do have and need to use their EBT cards. And now to go to a surround, you know, in the surrounding hurricane. yeah hurricane, Canab, Fredonia. Um, well, Fredonia doesn't have much, but. Um, St. George, and it's really hard. You know, we're we're going to have to do a lot more planning as far as uh, what we need because that's a long enough distance to either take or leave your children. And right. you know, it, it is gas money. And we have to have that too to go very far. You know, and, and it's not like the businesses have completely shut down. It's just it's not helping a lot of those that really need the help the most. And would right. you say, um, Christine, I want to ask you a question just a minute, but would you say that the church, your church is helping fill in the gaps? I mean, we were, our food processing plant just got ripped out from underneath us. Um, yeah, it's hard, really hard for them here right now. And they, you know, the theme that I keep hearing is that they feel driven out, you know, in Hilldale, um, I was told that there are only, a, you know, between seven and 10 homes that have not that that are that have not been evicted for the FLDS so it feels to them like a cultural cleansing you know like taking everything that's meaningful to them and their homes and um, now I also know the other side I'm not I promise you if even if I were being played I still I am, you know, I've educated myself on this issue very deeply. I've read thousands of pages of court documents and, you know, and I've, you know, heard the personal stories of so many people who um, feel victimized by the church. So I'm, 
I'm, I feel as if I'm a neutral person and I, and I still have compassion because how can you not? I mean, I think my fear is that because we stereotype the FLDS, you know, we've, we've branded them with these negative words that we don't see them as people that cry. We see them as people who deserve to be heard, you know, and, and this is, we, we create an otherness about them. And whenever I mean, that's what people do with like the homeless and the refugees. And that's how they're able to walk by them without, you know, without helping them. We, we say, you know, they are different than me. They are this way. And we, we take these mental shortcuts so we don't have to rethink. We don't, we can stay thinking black and white. We can stay thinking, you know, if these, if these FLDS weren't so stubborn, they would keep their homes, you know? So we already thought about that. We don't have to think about it again. We think FLDS, we think obstinate, but, but the fact of the matter is, you know, I hope that, that people that are listening will really open their hearts and their minds and think, and I mean, really think outside of the box, you know, but Christine, this is what I wanted to ask you. Do you, do you think that perhaps that your motives are skewed? Are you in it for personal gain? Thank you for asking that. So, um, the personal gain to me is, is, is the joy of helping. I've never received a penny for anything related to the FLDS. Um, there have been, you know, I, I'm not writing a book. I mean, I, I don't have a production deal there. You know, a lot of rumors have been spread about me that I've got some kind of media agenda. Well, my degree is in media psychology, but that doesn't mean, you know, um, that I'm out to make money off these people. But the, the fact is, I, you know, like there was a, a production in town, um, MTV, and I connected um, the producers with a number of people who did have get you know they do have an arrangement to get paid so people will be getting paid for sharing their stories it um but it wasn't me i mean i wouldn't even sign uh, a release and i tried to recommend other people and i wanted you know i tried to take the producers to see both sides you know so i i don't have you know i don't have the need to get i don't I don't have personal gain. I have actually personal loss, <laughs> you know, being here and, and trying to help. And, you know, everybody needs so much. Everybody needs so much here. doesn't matter who they are. There's so many needs here. And there, you know, even though there are groups here that do help, the FLDS won't, you know, they. Christine told me about those. We have never seen anything from the outside world. I mean, out of it, my people. Um, I'm sure stuff comes into the community. But I personally, and I know my friends and my family, we've never seen anything. Christine told me there were things coming here, and I'm like, wow, I hope someone's blessed with it, but we sure haven't seen it. And I'm not really begging because that's not our (laughs) nature. Yeah, we do have needs, and we aren't going to complain, though. And, you know, others want to be, as we say, part of Heavenly Father's work and, and want to send things. That's wonderful. We will accept. But... We have to. We must accept it through the right people, and it is not through anyone that has turned away from us. So right. it's it's getting late, and I I want to let you go, but I want to ask Irene one more question, if you guys have time. Um, yeah, Irene, what is something you would want outsiders to know? You you took the leap of faith to come on this podcast. This is a very 
brave thing to do to put your voice out there publicly. Um, and so again, I'm asking people to enter this as sort of a covenant of a spirit of understanding and open heartedness. What would you like people to know about your people? What is the message that you want to communicate to others? That we are real people. We have a lot of love for even for everyone, for those out there, no matter what your race, what color of your skin, what religion you are, we love you. We accept you for who you are. And we want you to live your religion the way you want to and let us live ours the way we want to. And also, and we didn't talk much about this, but I know there's a lot of negative about the men. But for how much we love them, I don't think that there's, I know there's not that much negative. There isn't. We have men that are such beautiful, loving, caring husbands, fathers, and brothers that um, it hurts when we hear people say that the men are hurting us. And even our leaders, of course, our leaders, we love them. They have been and this is very controversial, but I will say it. They have been framed. They are not who you think they are. Yeah, so so the interesting thing is that the um the the leaders that they know and love are different than the leaders that the courts know and you know and that that, that have been made public and you know I'm aware of it all and I, you know, in my role to help these people, I don't bring up the things that would be offensive. And um, I just want, you know, I just want to help them, you know. And it, it, I want to say one more thing. Um, if I could say anything, I would ask that um, that we all start, you know, um, more acts of kindness you know, from the XFLDS to the FLDS, even if it has to be anonymous and, and vice versa. And the reason is because when you do an act of kindness, it, uh, studies show that you will be more likely to exhibit helping behavior and to feel positive. So when you feel positive, then you'll be more likely to um, do more kindness. And, and the whole thing creates this loop that enhances well-being so if everybody would focus on that instead of, you know, instead of focusing on um, what is Christine doing? What is her agenda? You know, my my agenda is is, you know, it does bring me great joy to be helpful um, to anybody. You know, I, I am not their propaganda piece. I do see the positive side and I feel that, you know, encouraging um, an acknowledgement of of what what people do do right, it will only motivate people to do more right. And, you know, and I would like to say that, uh, you know, to the UEP trust too, that if, you know, if they could just do an act of kindness and um, provide some professional help or, you know, advocacy for these people that are getting evicted I mean, I, I do feel it could be handled more sensitively and, and I mean, I have many suggestions for that, but, you know, I know they think that they're doing the best that they can and they're in a hard place, but I, um, 
I'm not, you know, I, I know everything that, um, that Irene said is what she fervently believes. And I know that the people that are out fervently believe that. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not played. I know everything. I mean, I know both sides and I choose to nevertheless try to, um, you know, embrace the FLDS and let them know that there are outsiders out there that really do care about them. And, um, and I do hope Lindsay, that some of the people that are listening will, um, I hope they will ask what they can do and help us get some more educational supplies in here and, A few things with that. Um, One of the things Irene told me, a way that we can help as outsiders and and Christine, maybe we can organize this through you is, Irene, do you want to talk about the school supplies really quick? Um, Yes. We we would really, you know, we need basic supplies um, like pens and pencils and papers. We do like plain. We, We are very careful not to have fantasy. And so we don't do any of the characters and stuff like that. Do you mean like like uh, like a Mickey Mouse pencil or something? It needs to be plain. Okay, got it. Right. You know, I'll cut you know glue and scissors and tape and all that staples and staplers. But and also some of the um, higher you know things like science kits. Anywhere from your preschool to your high school, we have a few. Ones that are keeping on going in high school, most of them are working towards their GEDs um, because we don't have the schools anymore to house the high school or the people here to teach it. Then, um, because they've been they've relocated, then we do not have a high school anymore. We would love to, and we do have the people that could teach it and are very very capable. But yeah, that and um, geography, um, maps, world maps. Maps of the United States. These are things that are kind of hard for us to get our hands on. We don't have a lot of the resources and the catalogs, and we don't go online looking for things. We just either make it or do without. Construction paper, um, 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 glue sticks, you know, um, um, clear contact paper for bookmaking, sticky Velcro. You know, so we'll we'll put together a list if you know if you want. So let's promote literacy. I mean, that's you know that was another stereotype breaker for me is that these these um these mothers and um these homeschools are like little schools. You know, it's not some are just their family, but some get together and they'll have thirty children in their class, but they're still called a home homeschool. Mm-hmm. So, but they need they do need things, and and um, I'm just thrilled to be able to help with that and share some creative ideas. And so if you, if your listeners, you know, want to want to hear more about that, that'd be great. And again, this is not Christine asking for money. And and I just want to say something about that too, because I've noticed, first of all, Mormons are really funny about money, right? We, We have this in the LDS community too, filthy lucre. If someone makes money off of a project they do, like I ask for donations on the podcast. It takes, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of research. And um, I could not do this as a full-time job. I do not make a steady income, although I do have people donate from time to time. Or, you know, some people donate 10 bucks a month regularly. So full disclosure, I've been open about that. But people get really funny about people making money. And so 
it's been interesting to be down in the town where I've heard people that I think are probably maybe threatened by the work that I'm doing or whatever accuse me of being down there for financial gain. And I don't think they realize like it's a financial drain. <laughs> it's not a gain. I'm not making money down there. There's no money to be made down there. Um, the money that we make goes to our projects. So I'm very sympathetic towards this with you, Christine. And and what I would say is if you did this full time, you know, people should be paid for their work. That's a very funky Mormon idea that people should just give all their spare time for free. Well, no, that's not how we live and eat either. So, um, but this is not Christine asking for money. She's asking for supplies on behalf of the FLDS. Christine, why don't you tell them about the blog where you are chronicling some of these images that people that might break some stereotypes really quick? Oh, thank you. I forgot about it. So I, when, when we first moved here, we were so excited about how magical it was. This is an amazing place. It's amazing. Um, so we, I started a blog called Life in the Crick, C-R-I-C-K. And my one-liner is discovering, I think it, I forgot, but something like discovering the joy and happiness in the crick. So I thought I just, because I was just so filled with joy to be, to be in this beautiful city that we started taking photos and started out with, you know, nature photos. We moved here thinking, oh, we'll take, we'll move here while I finish my dissertation and we'll just take pictures of Zion. And we ended up, you know, falling in love with the culture, you know, the very simple culture of the FLDS. And then after a while we got to know the people. And so now we take pictures of FLDS when they, when they approve it. And so you can go there and see a lot of positive pictures, you know, children playing and, and, and you can see some negative pictures, too. I think I'll put up some, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I'll think about putting up some eviction pictures. But um, the fact is that I wanted to do a positive spin. You know, again, it's not my goal to be a propaganda piece for the FLDS. I don't even know all of their doctrines and everything like that. So I couldn't even. But I do know that um, the negative media has hurt individuals. Even even the negative media towards the town has limited them from getting grants and 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 you know the kind of help they need. So life in the crick at the moment has you know positive photos and information and and that's just you know what I choose to focus on and that's how my life is. You know if I I you know I have a fil- I have a I I live with rose colored colored glasses on and it makes me happy and I you know. Um, one thing that you can probably be, you know, be sure of is if I ever write about you or anybody, you know, I'll put you in a good light. And I just feel like that's that's a better a better way of life for me, you know. And I I, I don't want to say anything negative about anybody, not even, you know, the members of the UEP, you know, when for for the things that they do do right. But at at the same time, I stand for what's right, you know. And I I can't be bought. I mean, I can't. I I actually gave up a lot of money. Um, to be here and like uh, financial drain is an understatement you know like you said it's not about financial gain so whoever says that you know just just know that that's false there have been many false things said about me but I'm just going to keep doing what I do because you know maybe in the end I'm going to help some children learn to read and listen in in the history of the world people who've wanted to try to destroy a, a small religious movement out of thousands of these, it's probably happened only twice. So, you know, if, if a person's goal 
is to get them out of the FLDS church because they think that they'll be happier on the outside. That's noble. But the fact is, you know, making attacks against them or evicting them, you know, or doing things to harm them, it's not going to work. In fact, the more you, you victimize them, the, you know, the more the brain will say, I've made so many sacrifices. I'm, you know, I'm, I, it makes them stronger in their faith. So harming them doesn't accomplish anything positive. So, I mean, that is my mantra. Let's stop harming the, these people and, and let's love them and, and, you know, reach out in kindness. We can do that. We can all do that. And, you know, I, I always tell that to the FLDS too, you know, and, and the XFLDS, like, let's just, let's just, you know, love each other. And I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fix the, 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 their differences, but at the very least, if we could have a, you know, a kinder, gentler attitude towards one another, then we can, you know, we can make a difference. And, um, that's my goal is to, is to, you know, increase that, that, that loop of, you know, kindness equals pro-social behavior equals psychological well-being and positive emotions, which equals more kindness and more helping behavior. And so we just got to start, you know, I'm just one person and I've just started working on my own positive cycle. I, I, you know, I do have rose colored glasses, but that's what makes me happy. And, you know, I mean, I just hope that the people here, you know, that are XFLDS will understand that I'm a very, I'm very sincere. My agenda is just helping. I don't make money from this. I don't, you know, I mean, I've had opportunities. I've lost a lot of money, but I feel like if, um, if I did take money from anything, then it would kind of taint, you know, my sincerity. And I just want to help these people, you know, and I'm in a position. I, I don't know why they trust me, but because they do, I, I, I want to honor that and do everything I can to, to help them, especially especially the little ones. They're so cute. They're so precious. And they're not criminals. They're just precious. You know, and they're very loved. So very, very. I'm going to link to your Life in the Crick blog post so you can see some of the photos that I got to see, which are great. And I can't thank Irene enough for just having this leap of faith to, like I said, to build a bridge. I think the predominant narrative has been one spoken by people who have left and we don't get to hear a lot from those who are faithful. And there's good reasons for that. Like, like you have said already in the podcast, but I think that this is good. And um, I hope that the listeners will be good stewards of that story. So thank you guys yeah. again for coming on. And see, Lindsay, you Sorry. forgot to say how you like the bread. Oh my gosh, you guys, FLDS bread is the best. No, not just that. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. You guys got to go to the dairy store. Um, Spend some money in the FLDS dairy store. Put some money into the town. The cookies are amazing. Someone said on my, on my, I posted a picture on Facebook of the cookies. I was like, FLDS cookies. And someone said, you know, things that are made with love always taste better. And maybe that's it. I don't know. It was really great. I haven't made your ranch dressing yet, but I'm pumped. I'm excited. So. Oh, I have one more thing. One more thing. I would like to ask that to please be kind in your comments. You know, it took a lot of courage for, for Irene to speak. And I know that there are many things that she said that people will not agree with. And, um, 
And there are some things she said I don't agree with. And I said something she doesn't agree with. But please be kind. You know, it, it took courage. We want them to speak out and, and have their own voice. So, so you know, let's, let's allow people their differences. Okay. Well, thank you, ladies. And I hope you have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, Lindsay. support Utah women making local music. If you like the music on this podcast, it comes from a band called Lady Murasaki. You can check them out at ladymurasaki.bandcamp.com.